Hello and welcome back to the podcast. We're here to uncover what it takes to break tradition, to create change and be one of the uncommon folk who carves their own path in the world. We chat to the exceptional folk who are succeeding on their mission and have taken the leap. We also speak to leading experts to soak up all the knowledge and to arm you with the inspiration and the tools to turn your creative skill and your ideas into a successful creative business venture. This week's episode is such a special one. This episode is taken from a live recording in our members area with the exceptional Gracie Tyrrell, co-founder of Squirrel Sisters. If for any reason you haven't seen a Squirrel Sisters bar stocked in many of the UK stores and beyond, Squirrel Sisters is an award-winning healthy snack brand with no added sugar. Gracie co-founded the company with her sister Sophie as a result of a serious family health scare, which we'll actually talk about in the episode. From their kitchen table, Squirrel Sisters are now stocked in over 2,000 stores, including Boots, which if you are in the UK and you know about the meal deal, you can now get it in the meal deal, Holland and Barrett, Selfridges, Ocado, and so many more. During this eye-opening conversation, Gracie really lets us in on the realities behind growing a food brand and just how they landed those major retailers. We cover everything from contacting buyers to working with leading retailers to manufacturing and branding. Really, this episode is jam-packed with so much value and so much insight into what it takes to grow a brand. So we will jump straight into it, but this is just a final reminder that this was taken in front of our live events in our club membership space so if for any reason the sound does dip slightly it's just because of this reason but this is a brilliant episode and I really hope you enjoy I will catch you at the end for a little debrief enjoy Gracie from Squirrel Sisters I am stoked to welcome Gracie Tyrrell who's joining us this evening to share how she has built and scaled a healthy food range that's transforming the snacking industry From cacao brownie to peanut raspberry, if you've managed to grab a Squirrel Sister snack, you will know exactly why they've become an award-winning brand. But it goes beyond this. Although they have seen great success, they are on a mission to educate and offer truly healthy options to consumers. You will now see the Squirrel Sisters range in over 2,000 leading stores from Waitrose to Selfridges, but there really has been one hell of a journey to get there. So today we will be going behind the scenes to see what it really takes to go from your kitchen table to the supermarket shelves and gather all the tips and advice from the many lessons the sisters have learned along the way. So Gracie, <laughs> I don't want to go too far into your story. I really bring you that. <laughs> Thank you so good. much for joining us. Yeah, it goes a bit, like I said, it goes a little bit official. But no, I like that. <laughs> Thank you. Very good. <laughs> I give you a little, it's like um, this is your life. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thanks. No, very good. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining. I thought before we start, if it's okay, could you do kind of a little synopsis of what um, Squirrel Sisters is and where you are at the moment before we kind of go back in your journey? Yeah, sure. So um, Squirrel Sisters is a healthy snacking brand. We are a no added sugar snacking brand. So all of our products contain no added sugar um, and they are also suitable for vegans and people following a gluten free lifestyle. So they're very healthy, but the main thing is that they taste delicious. So we've got several awards for our snacks and that was really the main reason we started. We wanted to create something delicious um, that also, you know, was healthy. And there is a big story as to why that happened. But um, yeah, I'm the co-founder and the other co-founder is my sister, Sophie. And I don't know if you want me to go into the story now. That's like a very brief overview. Um, But Yeah. yeah. 
It's amazing. It's amazing where you are now. And like we've said before, you're in 2000 stores, leading sort of stores like Waitrose, Selfridges. Mm-hmm. You've done so well in your journey and it all started kind of from this purpose. So I'd love to go back before even the Browns a concept. What was life like for you and kind of how did it kind of all arise, the Squirrel Sisters brand? Yeah, so, oh gosh, so going back way before Squirrel Sisters. So um, I actually was working in film and TV. I studied, I went to Leeds Uni, uh, studied theatre and performance, and then went and moved to New York for a year um, and studied at Lee Strasberg. And uh, I then actually started working as an actress, but also on the production side, so a bit of both. Um, I was actually working for an actress at one point when I was kind of getting experience. Um, And yeah, so it was kind of totally different industry not food related at all but actually when I started working for an actress I was uh, I just happened to sort of slip into being involved in the nutrition side of stuff so I suppose from that point of view that is linked a little bit um, but yeah so that's kind of my background and um, Sophie was working for an agency a branding agency in Singapore uh, she moved to Singapore because uh, her now husband had moved there for a job and so she moved over to kind of well for love um, and <laughs> so we were both in kind of positions um, well first of all actually when Safe was in Singapore and I was obviously in between the UK mm-hmm. and America um, we just thought it would be really fun to start a blog and more for us and a hobby that we could do together while living on opposite sides of the world. So we started this blog. It was literally just for us. Didn't tell anyone because it wasn't really about that. It was just, you know, this was a little bit probably embarrassed with like the the idea of people seeing what we were doing. Um, And we set up an Instagram account and stuff, but it didn't tell anyone. Um, And uh, we gained a following quite quickly. The blog was very much about kind of our healthy discoveries, like, you know, uh, food discoveries that we found recipes you know wellness trends everything like that um so yeah we were living on opposite sides of the world and kind of just doing this blog together and you know talking about it you know skyping and just discussing like we've always loved talking about that sort of thing and just things that make us feel good and you know not restricting ourselves and um just enjoying life and so yeah obviously totally different industries um but both of us were in a position by the time Sophie was about to come back to the UK where we you know with acting and TV it's so unstable and I mean I say that you know running a small business isn't particularly (laughs) stable at times but it's so um yeah I I just really was struggling with just how unstable it was Um, you know you get a really good job for three to six months and then you're not doing anything for the next three months and I just really didn't enjoy that and um the hours and everything like that you know the early mornings or you know filming in the middle of the night and stuff so um yeah I was in sort of a position where I was thinking about other things and Sophie was too so we at that point kind of discussed the idea of doing something together and we gained a pretty good following with the blog at this point. So actually decided to turn the blog into a business Mm. and going way back. (laughs) um, Yeah. So pre, so before Singapore and before uh, everything, we were living together in Balham and Sophie had had a routine house check at work. Mm. um, And they discovered that she had this heart condition 
called Wolf Parkinson White, which I don't know kind of the technical definition of what it is, but it's, mm-hmm. it, it is essentially, you can live with it forever and never know you have it, or mm-hmm. you can live with it and then something will happen that it can be devastating to make you realize, oh my God, I've got this. So, you know, you, we've, well, there's stories of people, they really fit people that run marathons dropping dead because yeah. you know, they never knew they had it. So um, she was given the option to have uh, heart, uh, uh, what's it called, keyhole surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, so she had that and the operation, it didn't work. So they tried something different and it did work that time. But um, post the second surgery, she just, some something happened within her where she just was really, really unwell. And she was reacting really badly to anything processed, um, gluten, really badly to gluten, um, and also refined sugar. So mm-hmm. things like, you know, stomach cramps, kind of exhaustion. Um, so that is when I started making these snacks for her that, I, you know, I, I tried to go to various different health stores and find stuff that was nice you know like a nice little treat that she could have while she was kind of on the sofa or in bed kind of recovering um and there wasn't really anything at the time that tasted great but also ticked all the health credentials that she needed so in the end I was just I'm just gonna play around with some ingredients um our mom has always been into kind of health and wellness as well so I was very aware of different foods and ingredients that I knew were very good for you but also would taste good together so I just played around on a Nutribullet um came up with these bars um and obviously that was never a business idea that was very much just for us and then fast forward to uh when we were safe was coming back from Singapore I was um kind of thinking about my next kind of career step and the blog had grown so we were like well actually those bars would yeah. be a perfect they're just perfectly aligned with what our blog is all about. So we decided to launch that and start a food business. That is incredible. <laughs> and it, there's lots to unpack there, but I have a lot. Um, it's so cool that you're an actress out in New York. It's, it's like a whole nother, like you lived another life first. Yeah. It's yeah. like you say, I feel like a lot of founders, they say, oh, it wasn't related that what I did before. And it seems so different, but actually both of you, you were acting and Sophie was in branding and actually they're two incredible skills that you both need like as a founder as you know doing podcasts like this you need to be able to present yourself and talk to people and perform I suppose in a way yeah you know what that's such I never thought and I think this was slightly imposter syndrome at start but I was like oh my god like how is anyone going to take me seriously (laughs) but what all my training and everything I've done I would say is more beneficial than going and studying you know, the kind of, yeah, yeah, because it honestly with pitching, with everything, with, um, it has, it is, it's been amazing actually having had that training. So, um, yeah, I, at the start, at the start, I was just like, oh God, I don't want to tell people like all these, you know, <laughs> these people in suits, what I've been up to previously, but yeah, no, I'm really proud of it now. And actually, um, yeah, it's really, really benefited me. And it's so important, like you say, you, so many founders because of imposter syndrome and other various reasons, they don't like to tell their backstory because they think mm-hmm. if it's not directly linked or they haven't done an MBA and a business mm-hmm. school, but actually 
the business stuff you can learn and you normally learn as you go and yeah it might take a bit longer or you might need to get a mentor or anything but actually the soft skills are the things that you can't really learn like yeah. you can't they're they're within you like they yeah if you're good at speaking if you're good I mean you can get better at it definitely mm-hmm. but I think if it's in kind of your nature you can just as a founder you can go forward so much faster but and yeah and like you say with Sophie with the branding obviously that's very obvious how that can help so mm-hmm. it was just really nice to hear that because like you say, you felt embarrassed when you talked mm. to one of these suits that yeah. like, you think they're looking down on you and they probably yeah. are at some point. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. yeah. But you've really got to embrace what you've done already. And I feel like as a founder, everything then kind of makes sense. Once you start mm-hmm. to do stuff, you're like, oh, that even the customer service job that I did for a year after university or after yeah. college that actually taught me all the skills of how to speak to people properly and Mm -hmm. give them a good experience so it's all those little things that add up but so yeah I just wanted to pull on that just in case anyone's listening going I've started a business completely different to what I was doing before and I shouldn't be here because I'm not like you say like I didn't do a degree or I didn't do a thing but actually all that's important is passion and what you so yes yeah really cool to hear that and you are the best sister I mean I'd probably bring my sister like a pack of Maltesers (laughs) she's all right Um, and it's just really cool that you can't just not as nice as you Um, so it's really cool to I mean it's horrendous to hear what Sophie's gone through and like you say many people Mm. wouldn't even know they had it until you had devastation in a way it's a good thing that she found it but it's nice to know kind of where it all started like you say you already had this passion but that kind of Mm -hmm. drove that product line so it's all well and good (laughs) making a bar in your Nutribullet but then turning it into a business is a whole different thing isn't it Mm -hmm. it's a completely different thing so you kind of have the sample bar you've made this delicious product that um works in terms of what you were going out for and that it will be a delicious snack but what was the next step you took when you guys decided yeah we can do this we're going to move from the blog into more of a product brand yeah so we were actually very lucky with Sophie's husband because he's a graphic designer so um he was able to create our brand for us which actually if we hadn't have had him we probably would have had to get investment potentially with the level of kind of design we were going for because that was really important to us we really wanted a standout exciting brand we wanted to act like a big business from the start and have like everything kind of perfect really when it came to the brand um and so we were really lucky with him because we could sit down with him and he knows us so well and um, we kind of explain what we want and we were able to be like oh no that's awful like if he tried something <laughs> just be like no can you do this and because he knew us so well like we really wanted to put our personality into the, the brand and the packaging and um, so yeah that was very very lucky because it just meant that we could get amazing work for nothing yeah. um, especially he works for a top uh, London agency uh, oh, he's actually just left but called Design Bridge who I mean they they're it's very very I mean seriously seriously expensive and um, so we we're really lucky to have him and um, 
so from that point, he designed our brand for us. We had the samples and then we, being totally honest, we did not know what we were doing. We just, um, we went and met a lot of uh, non-competing brands. So we actually went and met um, Pip from Pip and Nut, um, mm. went to kind of other networking things, which I don't particularly, or I didn't at the time, I didn't particularly like networking events. Mm. Um, but they were actually really totally I agree so we'd kind of go but then we wouldn't we'd avoid kind of doing the mingling thing because we just like can't be bothered so that we probably should have made a bit more of an effort with but we did go and we did meet people that um you know advised us and that were you know really helpful but it was I think the most helpful thing was actually meeting other brands and hearing their story and um their struggles and challenges and you know what's worked for them and we were amazed at kind of how much time people actually gave us Mm -hmm. and so that's something we really try to do now that we try to kind of give back if someone reaches out like and you know is starting a business or has a question like we'll I'll always try and reply or you know have a call with them um so yeah we we did that and then it was very much a case of right where do we want to be um we want to be in whole foods we want to be uh we didn't actually kind of think about supermarkets to begin with it was kind of more the independence so we then went on um linkedin and just kind of yeah. searched for buyers and um you know spoke to people that we knew that might know people and we we didn't being totally honest like have a plan in place it was kind of just right go for it and see what happens Mm -hmm. and um yeah there was no kind of business plan or there was nothing (laughs) like that at the start that was it was just let's see what happens like we're very naive I suppose but I think that was a good thing because it just meant Mm -hmm. we're not sticking to this you know this business plan which is kind of right this is the first year the second year we just went for it and within our first year uh we got a listing in boots you know a massive massive retailer which was amazing um and that was uh, literally just a random last minute thing where we're like oh should we try calling the boots head office and just asked we put through to the buyer like that surely that is what happens I love, I love that <laughs> and it did actually work we were like we were completely uh, taken aback by that we weren't expecting it but that I think was very lucky because it was just weird timing and the buyer was amazing and um happened to be that week looking at his snacking uh, he was basically doing his range review so we got put through and yeah that was amazing and uh, got into boots but yeah we also got Whole Foods so that was our first retailer and that was really tricky to get a response because I think Whole Foods get um a hundred emails a week oh, wow. from new brands that's wow. not even the thousands of brands that they're currently dealing with so um to be seen and to get a response is really hard so we didn't we you know we were really persistent emailing all the time um, and then eventually Sophie, I think it was the night before uh, the one of the shows, possibly the speciality and fine food show. And we knew he was going. So Sophie found him, his personal Twitter account oh, and started just basically sent him a tweet saying, are you going 
to the this show tomorrow um from our squirrel sisters account he didn't respond so she sent another tweet because we figured we could t- see from his bio he was into photography so <laughs> we I love it. basically started finding like photos like funny photos of these weird like squirrels in weird positions and like doing weird things they so sent him a couple of like funny squirrel photos and he responded being like um meet me outside tomorrow at nine and then DM us his number and we were like yes this is the funny story yeah, <laughs> yeah. he finally so, replies yeah. when he's <laughs> bombarded yeah. with squirrel pictures yeah. and yeah we couldn't believe that and so you know I made the samples that night we uh, printed out um like images of what our brand was going to look like and we went and waited outside uh, I think it was at um it's Earl's Court Exhibition Centre and he was there and we literally had five minutes with him. He was kind of having to walk and talk because he was wow. in a rush. And I don't think we've ever spoken so quickly. We were like, <laughs> the brand's this, 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 what we're doing this, la, la, la. Um, and then he took the samples, uh, didn't hear from him, but obviously we were following up um, and chasing. And then eventually, yeah, he got back saying, um, yeah, I'll be launching. Well, he wanted commercials and then said, um, yeah, we'll, we'll be launching you next month. So that was amazing. And that was our first retailer. And once you get somewhere like that, I think once the door has been opened, it makes it a lot easier. Um, I love yeah. that story because like you say, so many people would go in with a business plan. They would follow all the exact advice to get a read. They'd go online and be like, mm-hmm. email it, do this, do that. And actually you've got to just go for it. You've got to try what you think is right and mm-hmm. think outside the box because you probably like you say you probably wouldn't have got whole whole foods because you just get lost in a sea it doesn't matter how good you are you, there are so many and you you have to stand out against the rest it's like applying for a job isn't it you have mm-hmm. to do something to stand out and yeah I just absolutely love that story and I, w- I was going to ask what your first retailer was and I cannot mm. believe it was whole foods <laughs> yeah <laughs> all of them <laughs> pretty, much, pretty big so yeah that was really cool it was yeah have you what's it actually like to then get in a retailer I'd love to know I just love to know kind of the backstory so like he's he said that's fine mm-hmm. what kind of things do they ask for do you have minimum order quantities or what's kind of the deal with that yeah so every retailer is slightly different but with Whole Foods um they wanted to go through a wholesaler so what we did there was so we basically it's wholesalers aren't that likely to just take you on unless you go to them saying that one of their customers wants to launch you because they don't want to take the risk because they're not they do some have sales teams um field sales teams that go out and actually try and kind of sell products into these smaller retailers um but the majority yeah have their customer list and they don't kind of go and push they wouldn't go and push squirrel sisters for example you have to do the work so we obviously got the confirmation from Whole Foods. Um, so with Whole Foods, they wanted to kind of know commercials. Mm-hmm. So again, if you're going through a wholesaler, that's going to be slightly different to direct. Mm-hmm. So he said, get in touch. I think he said his preferred um, wholesaler. And we reached out to them, told them that Whole Foods wanted to launch us. And then it was a case of kind of getting commercials right with the wholesaler and the wholesaler would then order through us um and we'd set a minimum order quantity for the wholesaler uh which at the time it wasn't you know 
ridiculously high um because we just wanted to get our foot in the door and so they order from us and then whole foods orders from the wholesaler and then we're very involved and you know we have direct communication with the buyer we go and meet them um kind of on a quarterly basis and kind of get an update see if there's anything we can do book in marketing um with their marketing team so with a company like whole foods which is you know it is relatively big for an independent and it's well known they you will be very involved whereas Mm -hmm. some other customers through wholesalers will be you know very small cafes that Mm -hmm. you don't we don't even know half the retailers we're in with some of our wholesalers because Mm -hmm. they don't tell you they don't give you a customer list yeah Um, so you know sometimes you know if I'm out and about and going to a cafe I'll spot our bars and be like oh that's you know that's really cool yeah um so that yeah it changed it's very different um but with yeah independence or kind of retailers of whole food size it's usually through a wholesaler that's really interesting it's really good to know again if anyone's in the really early stages as to what to expect so yeah that it does it differ from other what were your experiences say what was from whole foods like you say it kind of it was that wheel that started to turn did you then still obviously I take you still had to go out and kind of pitch and really push the product or was it just that bit easier because you could use that whole foods name so where did you kind of go to next who was on your list yeah so we went to we actually tried to get into other retailers and we were trying um we'd go to kind of do quite a lot of field sales so we take a backpack of samples Mm. and spend the day like walking around an area Mm. um so uh whether that's kind of in London if you know Clapham and literally going into every kind of cafe or um you know deli um you know garden center whatever it is we go and actually kind of be like oh who's your who's your buyer like um we've got these snacks <laughs> <You're not> <laughs> snack, <laughs> <my bag>. <laughs> yeah. um, and then you know we'd have our business card and so we're very hands-on and really mm-hmm. like that was you know because that's just what we thought we should do and I have to say when you first said about pitching to the big guys mm. I, in my head I always think with a food brand you kind of do that like you go mm. you start small you might do even some markets and you might yeah just to get it out there but I love that you kind of did both and mm. um, it just shows that you can do both you don't have to start small if that makes sense you can go for it yeah it? and we yeah we we literally did we um reached out to Ocado uh boots um all the supermarkets in our first year actually pretty well not all but a lot of them um but we we weren't that prepared I don't think and also there were quite a few things with our packaging our packaging was very very big at Mm. the start it was kind of double the size but the same size product because um of uh basically because we've got a tray that holds the bars the machinery that our factory had basically it just it was a logistical reason that we had that size packaging but they Mm. then were able to change it and we were able to find a better tray um so Ocado wouldn't launch us because they said you'll get a bad review because people will think your product's going to be a lot bigger and then be shocked um so there's no point so you know doing things you know speaking to people like that in our first year getting the feedback going to going and sampling at Whole Foods, which we were doing um, 
weekly. So we were speaking to customers directly and getting amazing feedback, good and bad, because it was amazing because it meant that we were then able to take that on board and make those changes. And um, yeah, so we, we were just, we had no fear in some ways because we were naive and we just assumed that, you know, we, we believed in our product and we, you know, we believe in our product so much that we were like, you like, of course, of yeah. course they're going to take it. Like <laughs> they'd be mad not to, like that was our attitude. So we didn't have any fear when it came to contacting anyone. We just, yeah, we did just go for it. And um, it paid off with boots. And then, yeah, we got some other kind of big supermarkets uh, along the way and um and yeah uh no. and we yeah so <laughs> I have to agree and I want to take it back like way back actually but we will come back <laughs> I didn't even touch on the fact that we haven't mentioned that when you were doing um your like you said you popped out to the shops to see if you could get anything from Sophie and I'm so on this that so many brands are healthy or mm-hmm. they promote themselves as healthy and they're not and they're full of sugar they might not have fat in because that's what they normally put don't they that all the calories are low they're actually full of additives sugar everything like that and Mm -hmm. like you said with your product it's so innovative and so needed and so wanted Mm -hmm. by people like you said you want to be like it's (laughs) people want this like yeah you just need to let them have it like you yeah the transporter the retailers need to be the transporter yeah allow people to have it so I totally get that that you would have created something so incredible that mm. and you just needed to show them that that's all you really needed to do yeah and I, I think that's it I think that was actually a big kind of point of ours that we would say to retailers or you know the buyers we would just explain that you know a lot of these brands they're not help they're genuinely not healthy and they just have mm. brilliant you know marketing teams um huge budgets and yeah so that was I think I think some buyers were kind of quite shocked by that um and it opened their eyes a bit but something I've realized along the way is you know that they are a business these companies and they a lot of the big ones don't necessarily care they just care about what you're going to invest so at the start, that was fine because we were a small business and, you know, they have certain um, requirements that they have to do every year to kind of be seen to be doing certain things like supporting small okay. businesses. Um, so they might take you on uh, and, you know, support you a little bit in terms of, you know, not expect, not having kind of crazy marketing budget expectations. But then after six months to a year, that's when that conversation sort of comes up and some brands that sit alongside us on shelf some bigger brands are spending just as an example to sit on the front basically by the tills yeah in a very well-known petrol station it's around six hundred thousand a year to do that um like to basically have um uh what's it called uh, you know the the stand thing there is no way a small right. business can do that so I know that a big brand is spending that a year just in one retailer to sit to basically have that space because this was actually one of my questions because 
I think everyone talks about getting into a store, like getting in, getting in. But that is the very start of it, isn't it? It's yeah. I think everyone thinks in any store that they then do it for you. Like they mm. then promote your product. They put it where it needs to be. But it's this behind the scenes stuff that it's incredible. I did not know that they then charged you extra. They asked you to invest money in to do it. And mm-hmm. and there's there's another, funnily enough, I just um, uh, uh, basically sent a proposal to another retailer recently that was really, I mean, I've got it in an email. They've literally said it in an email. So it must be fine. You know, it must be allowed. But yeah. um, that basically they they don't look, they look at what you're going to offer. So they look at basically what you're proposing to spend mm-hmm. on marketing because they don't make money from selling the product. They make they they make money from the marketing investment. So that's why in some retailers, you will see the same brands. They're always big brands. Um, and yeah, so it's very, very, very t- challenging to compete mm-hmm. with these brands because the budgets are just, crazy and um not only that but then to invest you know of course you do need to invest some money into marketing but yeah. when their margin expectation is so high you're you know you're the middleman you know you're the one that gets the least in the end and you're the one that's having to pay for the marketing so obviously you know some of these these retailers are huge and you know that if you're there people are going to see you it's you know it is great to be in these retailers but um it's serious money and so it's very hard to do well in these big retailers without getting investment because eventually they will come to you and start questioning like yeah. your spend and if you're not spending it's it's really like a, a matter of time before you'll get the dreaded yeah d-list email <laughs> to write down the bottom yeah <laughs> you're in yeah. the back of the shop I honestly it's it's just speaking to you it's just opened my eyes because I I get it this is how they make money and like you said mm. it's not a um a dig at anyone no <laughs> how to say it because it's yeah. incredible to be put in front of their customers they have yes. their own brand up but yes yeah you really f- forget that that it's it's like you are using their channel and you're they're like kind of an influencer in a way they're saying we're a really trusted brand you can pay us for us to promote your product that's kind of what we're doing we're not kind of doing it for the profit margins we are doing it because we are a trusted brand and you are paying us to go in front of the customers that trust you what baffles me is that any big retailer if you were spending that money on your own marketing of squirrel sisters Mm -hmm. and you were pushing people to these different stores they're then going to spend more on everything else they're not just going to go and buy your product exactly everything else so you think especially for small brands and like you say i know there's they're very good with new startups but some brands will never be at the top because like you say Mm -hmm. if they don't want to get investment they they want to keep it within the their own founders Mm -hmm you then like you say you kind of have this big peak and then you could easily go down because Mm -hmm. you just can't keep it up and it just baffles me that they can't see that that they could have some really nice small brands that are like ticking along and then have big brands just because consumers want new stuff well this this that's it as well and that's why what we've tried to kind of say you know consumers do want yeah products like ours and you know exciting innovative small brands but the bigger retailers are still 
there I mean you know that I don't know I just I, I, we, we <laughs> tried so hard to kind of with certain retailers to really kind of explain that but it is it is very challenging and um I think it it always probably will be with retail yeah. um which is yeah why I'm sort of thinking about kind of diverting mm-hmm. slightly and, and pushing mm-hmm. online yeah which we'll we'll talk about kind of later yeah. I, I know that you're looking at some different things as the kind of brand mm-hmm. grows so it'd be good to chat about that yeah um, I really want to talk about manufacturing because I know again I'm just interested in everything I'm like what's the tag what's the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just want to know everything it's it's like um I was watching one of the like Janet inside the factory I'm like I just want to see oh, it yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just really intrigued by stuff like how is a quality street made <laughs> yeah. okay. it is really interesting actually when yeah because I think a lot of people go into supermarket and they won't think about how that product ended up on the shelf oh, but there's yeah. so many like cogs to yeah. it and yeah it's so it is really interesting and before we talk about that, I'd love to kind of, as it kind of blends in, we've spoke about the brand a bit that you were so lucky that you had a family member that was able to help you because we talk about it a lot that actually, if you're a service provider, branding isn't really that important. It's you that's the brand. So it's absolutely fine. We kind of say to small businesses, don't dwell on the fact that you can't be perfect, but it sounds bad, but as a food brand, you can obviously develop every food brand you've ever seen. If you see their packaging develop, it, mm-hmm. it it's quite sort of drastic. I think I was in yeah. class with the Oppo ice cream brothers. Oh, yeah. They were saying how they're still, they still can't quite get it. But like you said, to with a grab and go product and something that's in a retailer and you're not directly kind of giving it to a client in many cases, you have to get it right. Mm-hmm. Have you um, heard any lessons for anyone as to what works have you ever evolved like you were saying with the packaging of the size of it mm-hmm. are there any other lessons that you've sort of found through your research that I think I um when we've had chats before that you put kind of the awards on there you put no mm-hmm. added sugar how did that did you see a difference with anything that you've tried yes yeah so at the start um we were all about almost treating our product slightly as we wanted it to feel like almost like an accessory you know like be Mm -hmm. proud to be holding it we didn't want it to feel like a typical health product Mm -hmm. um uh we didn't want it to uh, yeah just be too intense we just wanted it to look really beautiful and uh quite simple but eye-catching and just special and um actually then the way we we also the the flavor font like the size of the font was quite small and it was really all about kind of we launched with four flavors of the snack bars and each one had a different color so that's really kind of how we were kind of explaining the flavor but what we realized is people aren't going to see that and from our feedback from people in Whole Foods you know they'd pick up the bar and kind of be having to do this and be like what flavor is this and we're like oh, okay that's not great <laughs> so um, and then they'd kind of be like um you know what what you know is this vegan is it gluten-free you know all of those kind of questions so we ended up we've we've not drastically the first style of brand that we had actually we have drastically changed from then it was a very um we thought it was really we well we wanted it to kind of feel like our personalities but actually looking back I'm like god it looks quite babyish um in terms of the uh 
the images on it just felt kind of like a, almost like a kid's bar actually yeah. um quite kind of farmyardy style you know that kind of you can imagine one of the kids brands looking like that like it was really yeah. really lovely um but yeah the way we kind of developed we wanted our, it to feel very we you know we are a more premium brand so we wanted that to come through so we kind of added uh gold foiling you know things like that and then we did stamp on the front of pack which we always said we wouldn't do we stamped the health credentials so no added sugar plant-based gluten-free and we put that um literally on the front of pack and a massive like arrow thing um which yeah we realized was quite important because I think you know customers literally I think they say it takes like however many not even a second you know it's a split decision and snacking since we launched we launched in 2015 so it has just become huge since we launched and you know it wasn't like there weren't that many competitors at the time whereas now it feels like everyone has a snacking brand um so we really needed to be obvious you know about you know so a customer would look see what we were about and you know be able to identify like which which brand they wanted to to purchase so yeah that I think for us it's really we also were, I suppose quite blinded because we we're so used to it but because we have two of us or had two of us in the team we'd discuss it together rather than getting outside feedback yeah. um and in hindsight I probably would have done a couple of surveys um you know got a team of people you know like offered to kind of send them a box of bars if they give us some feedback or something so that weren't friends or family um so I think in hindsight I would have done that but yeah now I'm really happy with the brand and how it looks I think yeah I mean what I've noticed now if anyone's you know starting a food brand I've noticed a lot of food brands have windows on their packaging or they have an image of what's inside the pack on the front of pack so that's something we haven't done, which mm-hmm. I think I would probably consider if we had a bit of a refresh of the brand. I love all this because like you say, you start the brand and you have this idea, the story of it and where it's yeah. actually you've got a, as you evolve, you really realize it's about the customer and the psychology mm-hmm. of the customer. It's not always yeah. about the design and the happiness of it it's like you say that what do they want the flavor they want to know what's in it they want to know that it's like no sugar that it Mm -hmm. grabs them so it's really interesting to know that like you say for any future and agree that kind of window because healthy snacking bars a bit like when you said about the packaging Mm. it from the outside but when you open you don't have a really a clue what's going to be inside so yeah um, and if it was smaller I can imagine why they said that (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah exactly yeah it's so interesting to know all of that um so before I've got some questions about you running a business but we'll we'll run over this quite quickly because it is just really behind the scenes of kind Mm -hmm. of anyone who is starting a food business and really just anyone interested in scaling a product I know you've had some barriers with it too so we've obviously spoken about how you got into the retailers but you kind of got those deals signed how did you go from having a bar on your kitchen table that was good for you guys to then actually scaling it to a product that could be sold and eaten I know there's probably just from speaking to skincare brands to any kind of brand there's regulations Mm -hmm. there's lots of different things that you maybe don't think about when you're doing it on your own um what was the first thing you did to kind of how did you find a manufacturer how did you go about that 
Yeah, so originally, um, again, completely naive to like how it all worked. So we originally started looking at um, renting a kitchen, which Um, in hindsight is hilarious. (laughs) I just don't know how that would have worked. And then we, how would we, you know, I suppose we would have had to get a um, co-packing manufacturer. Um, So uh, Sophie was away and I went and drove to like look at this kitchen and just I was like I I think this is just crazy I think we need to actually start thinking about factories so we googled um you know like health like snacking factories like gluten-free factories um quite a few came up and we just basically reached out and um then found yeah so found one that could uh, that does actually make quite a few other brands um products and reached out to them kind of sent them our recipe they you can't just send them a recipe you do have to tweak it when you scale up and you know make it on that kind of larger scale so they looked at it and were like right we can use the same ingredients and we'll just kind of alter it slightly um so they did a trial for us and we got we were so excited to get the samples and yeah I just I was so disappointed I was like these taste so healthy like they taste so healthy and I know that they are healthy ingredients but the whole point is that we didn't want them to taste healthy so um we sent them you know I made another like a batch of our stuff and sent it to them so they could try it see the texture see everything and even things like you know they were so I don't know it just it was like bird food like yeah literally that's what it tasted like and we were like so far from what we've been doing this is so disappointing so it was really yeah like did another trial with them and yeah the same they said they could achieve the same as the sample we'd sent and it just didn't taste anywhere near it so we then carried on looking and eventually found a family-run factory who um weren't planning to take any new brands on but we were like look we'll come and visit you we'll explain what we're all about what our mission is so we drove up to see them and um they were just so lovely like we all clicked straight away and they got what we were about they um yeah they were really excited by it and uh we yeah we did a trial with them it worked and the other good thing about them is their minimum order quantities weren't ridiculous so um it it we yeah and the trial was you know a couple of hundred pounds so we weren't having to invest loads and we knew that we wouldn't do the actual production run until we'd secured a couple of listings um so yeah that's we, we basically yeah just decided to go with them and um then it's about kind of obviously you know working out what, okay what what's the cost and because we were doing smaller orders to begin with the cost's higher Mm. Um, we were doing smaller packaging runs so the cost is higher so at the start usually if you're unless you've had investment and really go for it um, and take a big risk it's going to be more expensive because yeah we were paying paying like the top price for our bars the actual products and then yeah we obviously have all the other bits that go with it and distribution and warehousing and everything Um, so how we've been able to do it is as we've kind of got new retailers, we've scaled up and been able to bring the price down um, because, you know, everything has come down. Well, not dramatically, to be honest, especially now it's kind of creeping back up, but um, (laughs) like, yeah, we, we, I think when we launched, we launched our bars at 
I think our RRP was £2.50, which is a lot. It's, you know, that is for a 40 gram bar, um, a lot, but mm. we we couldn't, you know, that's what it was, unfortunately. And like, we we weren't sorry about it necessarily because we were like, well, it's a really premium quality. We use organic cacao, you know, we do use organic ingredients where we can. Um, the quality is really, really high. Mm. And we kind of, the how we just explain it to people is like well okay so if you buy chocolates mm. you've got let's take you've got Cadbury's you've got Lindt they're both chocolate but their price difference yeah. is completely you know it's the same product essentially so when people came to us I'm like well there's another brand you know the other uh, snack bar <laughs> brand <laughs> yeah. we won't mention like that. he's like <laughs> 75p and or like they're a pound at the time I think um and so you're the same product and we're like no we're not the same product mm. at all um and kind of explained it that way and people did sort of get that but they wouldn't question it with chocolate but I think because healthy snacking is slightly newer um in terms of yeah the you know to most people uh it was quite a challenge at the start to kind of explain that to people but yeah like it's so true though like it's explaining the value because although it it, I suppose it's relative it is quite expensive but mm. I was looking at like protein bars and they're very expensive because mm. they're probably around the same for some of them but you get so much more value in it that the mm-hmm. product you're eating is going to give you like an outcome if that makes sense so you're getting a delicious bar but you're getting the protein mm-hmm. the same as yours you're getting a delicious snack but it doesn't have the sugar so the value of it it's so different of course you can yeah. get one pound share bag and get lots of chocolate but mm-hmm. it's it's a poor quality and it's not going to do you any good whereas this you're in, kind of investing in your health <laughs> so yeah. it's really hard to get that value across money when you're changing is with uh, we had day um valentina the founder of day and it's it's changing people's thought processes mm-hmm. around things that can be the biggest barrier with small businesses because you can't get it for the same price as what we already know things are because it's not Mm-hmm. it's never going to be that price so no. yeah I can imagine it's quite I talking of money <laughs> talking of cash um, <laughs> in terms of the manufacturing did you have to did I take it because you've got no investors have you you kind no. of fully own the company it was just all self-funded was it that you know? yeah so we didn't actually take a salary to begin with so we'd saved um money um and we basically used our savings and then anything that we got back we put back in so mm-hmm. we didn't take a salary for probably a year and a bit or we would take a bit we'd start to um but then we'd have a massive bill coming up so yeah. we'd be like oh we're gonna have to like not do yeah. that this one so we were you know we we did the odd thing on the side to kind of keep pay the ourselves of, and pay the bills exactly yeah. so um we, like Sophie did a bit of consultancy and I was doing a bit of acting still and um uh, yeah so that's kind of how we managed to do that and also we were in fortunate positions with our partners at the time and um you know they were really supportive of that and you know we so that that was definitely I you know very lucky to be in that position um so yeah we basically used our savings and um and yeah didn't get any outside investment which it's it's amazing and it it, like you say it's tough it's tough for 
year 18 months and like you say some months you might be able to take a bit but mm-hmm. the sacrifice from speaking to people so many people I've spoken to investment early on can be incredible it, it mm-hmm. rapidly moves your journey along but the added pressure of investors the added pressure of having other people on board and the added yeah. pressure of not owning your company it's not your baby anymore mm-hmm. and when it's mission driven I think it's really hard to give that to someone that wasn't there at the beginning and doesn't yeah. really like believe in it so it's hard to know the exact answer is it when you're trying to scale quite a big brand but um if you can sacrifice I know it's not not everyone can do it I think it is it is a good thing to be able to do if you can <laughs> yeah horrible at the time but yeah no definitely or you know if you can do I mean even now um uh, I do PR consultancy so something I've realized that from Squirrel Sisters I have always done our PR I never have I don't have any background in that but I just kind of found that I was I was getting kind of really good responses early on um when I was pitching so that's you know I do that for smaller brands now to which enables me to kind of not always take money out of the business and try and keep as much money in the business as possible um so yes that is more work um but I I do it I only take on what I can and I I don't find I find it doesn't stress me out because for me I just I'm able to do it quite quickly and efficiently so um that's why I do that whereas you know if someone said to if I you know could do their sales for them I definitely wouldn't want to do that because that's just not something I'd want to do on top of Squirrel Sisters so yeah yeah, I I've just kind of start I do that on the side to just yeah just kind of I have to say that's so important for people to hear because I did a post recently of kind of side part-time jobs and not Mm. to look down on them because they're a mm. means to just keep you going if you yeah. kind of look at it as a bad thing you you probably will like I hate the word fail but mm. you will run out of money yeah. <laughs> there's, there's got to be something paying the bill so that you can carry on going so yeah like you say if you just need the odd month or the odd job here and there and you just keep going it's it's much better than being kind of stubborn and saying no I run mm-hmm. a business now and that's it and it's it's so powerful yeah. because there are so many people doing it like millions of people that have yeah. it, take on a bit of work as they go yeah um, but we're gonna kind of move on because we are nearly at the hour but um Ooh, we've got say, yeah. a lot of business owners obviously marketing at the moment we're coming if for anyone listening and later in time <laughs> um coming out <laughs> of lockdown and it's been tough but marketing is changing again and I'd just love to know with Squirrel Sisters what have you tried in terms of kind of to see success? I know you're mainly through retailers, but is there any advice you can give from the tactics that you've tried to kind of get Squirrel Sisters name out there that you could kind of give advice for any of our um, listeners? Is there any kind of thing that worked really well? Um, yeah, so early on, um, because we didn't have budgets, we just tried to do anything that was essentially kind of free or would cost us products so um obviously social media you know really push that um but we started working with a couple of uh girls that we knew through the kind of going to different kind of foodie events and stuff and they had started like a little side hustle of um kind of yeah I guess influencer stuff Mm -hmm. and 
we decided to just give it a go for a couple of hundred pounds, I think, um, per month. But that to us, like we hadn't spent any money. So we were like, let's just give it a go. Um, and that was amazing. That was when we, we basically did this event, a really cool event, got the shard, the top of the shard for free. Um, did like, yo- you know, yoga and breakfast basically at the top of the shard and had all these influencers come and um, they were all, po- they were, everyone posted and are following uh, literally that is the most, they just shot up that day um, mm-hmm. and sale, like our website sales, like they were, everything just felt like it was real something was happening like this is really working so for us we've always done with launches we've done kind of influencer gifting and obviously that event is not you know an easy thing to do necessarily we're very like lucky with getting the venue and stuff but if you don't want to spend money how we usually do it is we will we've, we've built up I guess good relationships with a lot of micro influencers so we'll message them and be like look we've got this launch can we send you a little gift like obviously if you like it which you know post like they they know what you're kind of doing if you send them something um so we always write like a hand written message and then send them a gift and so you know that for us really works um the I would say the thing where we've really been able to measure the success of something is probably PR to be honest so we got when we've had big articles um we got an article in the Daily Mail in I think 2019 and our sales in I think it was in Waitrose doubled that week which was weird and there was nothing else that was going it had to have been from that that's huge as well isn't it it's not like a tension it's yeah no it was literally um and there was our website sales like that's how and more recently we actually got an article in um uh this is money which is part of mail online and the reason I knew the article was out because I knew it was going to be published at some point but I didn't know when um was because the alerts that were coming up and oh, yeah. so so PR has worked really well for us and it's free obviously you know mm-hmm. there's ways of finding journalists like going on Twitter and their hashtag journo request or PR request mm-hmm. um going and look at other brands and if they post any press that they've had you can see who the journalist is and reach out and mm-hmm. that's how I've sort of done it in the past and um yeah so I would really say for us like PR and influence marketing has been like the best in terms of yeah return on investment even though we haven't necessarily like invested yeah that's really good to know though because like you say it's quite um low value in terms of the monetary cost of it um, yeah you can get quite a high return it's depending like you say how you do it like I love that idea of the event that kind of brought everyone together and got all this real kind of stir for it it's really good yeah. kind of make impact so love those advice (laughs) it's so good chatting to people about actually hearing what has worked not just kind of that you hear do this do that and it's like no this actually saw an impact so um I mean it's not just food brands it's any wellness brands I think that's it can kind of tie in what you've said it's yeah it's really cool um yeah 
we haven't really we've run out of a little bit of time in terms I wanted to speak about some of the barriers that you faced but we spoke before and the podcast and obviously you've just come out of COVID and with a grab and go snack people weren't grabbing and going (laughs) they were buying big food shops so you obviously had the impact of that and I know you've had issues with factories with lots of different things but I really want to talk about how you've dealt with that as a founder because I think it's kind of more important to know what it's your own feelings of running a brand and what it's been like and not just running a brand but something that is changing an industry I feel like we've already touched on it that you've got to change that customer um, opinion you've had the barriers of retail and kind of it's great first on and then you move in and you've kind of got to face that and I think everyone knows you think you've got over the one barrier and then the next one comes along the next day mm-hmm. so on the personal side of things what has life been like as a founder and do you feel like you've made kind of sacrifices and on the flip side how do you manage that how do you manage your well-being um in running quite a big brand that you have yeah gosh well yeah that's <laughs> counseling now sorry <laughs> Tell me everything. <laughs> Big question. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> um, it's actually a really good question. Yeah, because um, more recently, uh, my sister Sophie, who is my business partner and also my sister, took a step back from the business um, because she's got two two young kids, and with COVID and everything, you know, we sales halved. Um, mm you know, they literally dropped, it was like, yeah, it was, it was shocking to be honest, because we are, like you mentioned in offices and we're an impulse snack. So people weren't going to the supermarket on their lunch break anymore and picking up a sandwich and a snack bar. So um, we did get hit really badly, to be honest. And um, it was very stressful, but yeah. So I think for Sophie with two young kids, it was, it's just a lot. And um we did, you know, being totally honest, kind of think about whether carrying on was the right thing. Mm. Um, but there was something in me that just, I, I still feel so passionate about it and um, have this excited kind of drive. When I wake up, I'm excited to kind of get on with it and, and like really go for it. And of course, there's days where I wake up and think, oh my God, this is so stressful. But I think for me, like I've always been quite good at managing stress. And I think how I've done that is I've always been, I've always really listened to myself. So if I'm having an unproductive day where I, you know, there's stuff to do, but I just, I'm just in that kind of meh mood. Um, I will just say to myself, right, I'm going to just not focus on it today I'm actually going to allow myself to turn off I'm not looking at my computer it's not going to end the world like if I don't respond to an email or something and I'm just going to try and reset and just take myself outside go for a walk like do something nice have a nice evening like make a nice meal have a glass of wine and like try and you know just enjoy the day and then know that like tomorrow I'll probably be completely reset and kind of feeling productive and um, excited again but yeah it has been really challenging but so I think um, I guess my advice would be like I think we mentioned this at the start but you have to feel passionate about whatever it is you're doing because it is really hard and you will you know things like taking a hit on salary um, you know going on holiday 
isn't necessarily as fun because you're not switching off but then if you love what you do then it you know it doesn't really matter because it all kind of work blends into personal but yeah I mean I've definitely the salary thing I know if I work for someone else I could be making you know good money (laughs) and um you know I I could be on a decent salary but you know with lockdown and what happened to the business during lockdown and sales when they at first time happened we you know we we also couldn't get any help we couldn't we couldn't do the furlough thing that didn't work for small businesses we were able to get a small loan um but yeah I so I suppose yeah there have been things that I've missed out on from running this but at the same time there's so many opportunities you have when you own your own business and run your own business and the flexibility is amazing like the fact that if I need to pop somewhere or you know our mum you know hasn't been very well the last year so if I worked for someone else and was going to an office I wouldn't be able to just drop everything and go home which we've you know we've both myself and my sister were able to do from running Squirrel Sisters we are our own boss and there are so many benefits to that and um yeah I just feel so passionate and strongly about what Squirrel Sisters is about and what I'm doing and I really enjoy it I get such a buzz from it and there may come a time where that passion is gone and that's when for me I would be happy at that point to walk away or sell the business or something but at the moment I'm I would I'm not because I feel I I feel so passionate and I would give up stuff like salary because I'm you know do extra work maybe spend Saturday doing PR work or whatever because that's how much I want to continue to do this I love everything you just said it's so true if that fire inside you is still there if that's gone then it's time to move on if if yeah you don't wake up excited then it's probably time to change you don't have to go back to corporate world but you could change Mm but and like you said I feel like we're all like martyrs to it because we're like we put ourselves in this position so if we're having a tough day we just power through like that. yeah actually one day off because mm-hmm. you probably worked solidly anyway for days mm-hmm. any so you probably owed it but just take one day because it's actually not going to stop it's going to go much faster if you wake mm-hmm. up the next day refreshed creative ready to go yeah love that idea because yeah so many people just try and push through I think because yeah told to do so and actually an afternoon off, a morning off, a lay-in is mm-hmm. do it because actually, like you say, you're sacrificing so many other things. But actually, I don't yeah. think you are because, like you say, it's one or the other. I feel like you can have the salary, but you sacrifice your freedom and you sacrifice flexibility. Mm-hmm. Whereas actually, you might sacrifice salary for a while, mm-hmm. but that hopefully will then come at some point. But then yeah. you've got the flexibility, so you're sacrificing for a short time. Mm-hmm. But for something much greater, and I think, yeah, everything you've just said is just brilliant and it, it it can be tough but actually mm. I've got two last things to ask you and we're gonna, we're gonna <laughs> end on a high because <laughs> we don't want to go down like <laughs> it's so worth it like you say what would be your ultimate high of the journey if you could pick one what would be the ultimate high of your journey so far obviously we're, we're going to go on to the future and there's a lot to come for Squirrel Sisters but um Oh gosh, that's a really good question. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's so hard to answer as well. So then. hard. Um, I would say, uh, I mean, any receiving an email saying that we've secured a listing, like a big that is the most amazing feeling ever. Like getting that confirmation 
um, because it's so much work to get to that point. So I'd probably say that. And we, um, yeah, so, you know, get, getting a listing is probably, yeah, the one of the biggest highs that you'll feel. I can imagine, like you say, especially all the work you put in and then you find yeah. it must just be kind of a different world, like to be like, we're going to be stocked in this shop that we've we've looked at all yeah. lives. <laughs> yeah. 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 Be so, yeah, I it must be amazing. Um firstly, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us and thank you for sharing your story. It's an incredible one. And I love that it's built out of purpose. But before we go, um, I'd love to know what the future is for Squirrel Sisters. Like you said, Sophie has taken a step back, it may not be forever, but just mm-hmm. to kind of concentrate on her family. Mm-hmm. Um, you, Gracie, how are you going to take the company forward? <laughs> Yeah, so my plan is to really focus on online. Um, like I mentioned with retail, it's really tough. Obviously, being in retail is amazing for brand awareness. And, you know, it is, you know, it is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks good, especially if you want to sell the business eventually, but to have that that distribution. But for I've got a big plan with online and um, I'm currently uh, working with a guy that we you know eventually might have some kind of partnership um but yeah we're basically doing a big launch where he is he's like a tech guy (laughs) and I'm not um, he's yeah just really analytical and like he's he's very techy so it works well because he doesn't like the brand side of stuff we're total opposites in that sense but um so we're doing this sort of online uh launch on Amazon um it's a trial uh and we've got big plans for it and then if it is a success then that will be pretty game-changing for the business and it will enable me as well with like cash flow and everything to potentially grow the retail side of things and have that investment which we've never had to you know really give it everything so yeah but the, the main thing is really to kind of establish the brand online which is something we haven't really ever pushed before I love that. And like you said, because now we, it's so nice. Now we know the story of why it's so important as well, because it's not yeah. as easy as getting in retail. You need the money to keep it going. So yeah, I love that. And it sounds like the guy that you might be working with, it sounds like you're like a perfect <laughs> mix. <Yeah. of> you <laughs> yeah. carry on with the creative. and the Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Stick to his stuff. So it's really exciting. And like I say, knowing the story, I love to then hear kind of the steps forward as to why. So because um, many people may not understand, yeah. I'm sure they will, because obviously you need to have different streams anyway. But um, like I said, thank you so much. It's been so nice thank to you. hear the story. And like I... Um, I'm just nosy and I love to hear <laughs> all the different things about working with retailers and manufacturers and I feel like anyone listening will be I unless they're already in the industry really kind of astounded um so yeah I will wrap things up and we'll take any questions in a second but thanks Gracie thank you so thank much thank you so much thanks for having me Well, firstly, thank you so much for making it to the end of the episode. I hope that you're as engrossed as I was in hearing Gracie's incredible story. And as I mentioned, it is packed with insight. From their brilliant way of contacting buyers and really standing out from those hundreds of emails every day to really the realities of working with major retailers. I know I personally will never look at a supermarket's shelf the same way again. As ever, I would love to hear what you thought of the episode and if there's anything that you will take away from Gracie's story. 
You can catch us on Instagram at un.common.folk. And please, if you can, drop us a rating below as it helps others find these incredible stories and hopefully scale their own brand themselves. Thanks again for listening and I'll catch you in the next episode. Thank <laughs> you.